Hello and welcome back to Leader Up, a podcast of Army Management Staff College. Leader Up is a professional conversation where we discuss a broad range of leadership and leader development topics with an emphasis on the Army civilian professional. I'm your host, David Howie. On today's episode of Leader Up, we continue our discussion with Mr. Mark Averill, the Administrative Assistant to the Secretary of the Army. In the previous episode with Mr. Averill, we talked about the safer federal workforce. And in today's episode, we continue our discussion and we talk about the future of work. So let's get right to that topic and Mr. Mark Averill. And I'd like to move kind of to the second big topic, and this is related uh, to the, the COVID response from two and a half years ago. And it's this idea, this concept of future of work and just what is that concept and what does that mean? Because I think, I think we're trying to talk more about it just can I telework and more about uh, a, an encompassing broad look at the, what, the future of what it means to work uh, as, a, as a member of the Army Civilian Corps. Well, certainly be glad to. So again, we'll kind of start at the top. Uh, you have uh, OPM really is the one they're hosting right now. Uh, and we'll get that dropped in at some point, the uh, website for where you can go to see the future of work. Much like the Safer Federal Workforce, uh, just recently OPM started hosting the Future of Work website. So it's very informative. But really what it talks about is the pandemic forced agencies to transition to a new way of working. As the federal government considers the post-hybrid work environment, we need to leverage the lessons learned from our work during the pandemic and re-image how we work. And they, ha- they talk about some core principles that they'd like to get out of this future of work. One, promote a flexible and agile workforce, empower agency decision-making, strengthen diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility in our workforce, and consider our local communities. They talk about some interesting uh, stats that prior to COVID, 2019, only about 50% of the uh, federal work, civilian workforce were eligible for telework, 90% in, in 2020, so a significant uh, improvement. The other thing is that, you know, as they've done a bunch of surveys, probably our civilians, certainly on the FEVs, and if they see the changes in the DOCs, there's been some targeted questions on the future of work and telework. And, you know, do you feel that your agency has, you know, taken steps uh, to, to, to manage for the future of work? And so there the were big response right now. 84% of the, of the civilian workforce agree that their agency has the tools and resources needed to respond, right, to future emergencies inside the future of work. And 86% said they were able to successfully transition the workforce to the maximum telework. Right. And we talked about that as part of the HPCon. So so there are some foundational sets, but but you brought it up. Many people, when you talk about the future of work, they go directly kind of to increase telecom remote work. And that is a key component. But there are other things that the administration is trying to achieve because again, it's part of these lessons learned that we've seen as we've gone through 
the COVID pandemic. One of them is this ability to reduce real estate costs. And so, and in particular, lease facilities. So I'll give a personal example in DC, we, in Department of the Army, we have several large facilities, office buildings that are out in Crystal City. And through the pandemic, in many cases, those, those buildings have been less than 20 or 25% full. And so here we are paying max dollars for as if the buildings were full and they have not. And so one of the outputs is we're now looking at uh, closing one of the two, I guess we'll call them high rise buildings. And so that will be a direct savings for the army that can go back into other higher priorities. And so telework has allowed that to happen. And so kind of a ways means ends. The other thing, uh, reduce carbon footprint kind of ties with one of the secretary's objectives, but this, you've created this positive environmental benefits, right? Reduction of greenhouse gases, fossil fuel consumption, air pollution. You know, one of the ones we found, big reduction in the use of paper and toner, right? In the office spaces, people have worked outside and kind of gone paperless. Uh, and so there's been a big reduction. And then travel costs for the employees, right? The Right now with the gas prices and not being on the road, you, only, you reduce the carbon footprint and also reduce the cost for our civilian employees. Another one tied to getting to work, Reduce mass transportation benefit program, right? The, the, you have a significant savings uh, when people are not uh, traveling each and every day into the workspace. So in the uh, D.C. area, right, uh, we dropped from nearly $9.1 million prior to the pandemic down to only $2.7 million per year in mass uh, transportation benefit uh, in 2021. So $6 million that can go to higher priorities in the Army. So again, a benefit and a lesson learned uh, that has helped us. Uh, and telework, again, we'll get back to telework. It plays a part of that. COOP, or continuity of operations, right? Before, uh, we've invested greatly in the IT capabilities. Obviously, today we're doing this in a virtual environment. And so depending what organization, and most have taken advantage of this, we've provided government furnished equipment uh, to employees. We've given them cameras. We've given them microphones. And it turns out in many cases, and not all, uh, folks have been able to conduct their mission irregardless of what's going on in the environment. So in D.C., people were home for COVID. But during that, some of the folks are, you know, uh, winter storms that used to bring D.C. to a grinding halt. Now that we were postured for the pandemic, when other things came, tornadoes, big storms, snowstorms, all of that kind of stuff, the mission was able to be in con uh, you know, continued because we had made such a massive investment in the infrastructure for folks to continue to do that. The other thing, truthfully, is the, the idea that many of our systems have gone to the enterprise level, right? They're web-based, and so people can basically work from wherever. But one of these things you've we've always trained for coop but you know as we look back we never did an investment in the it to continue continuity operate coop the continuity of operations and so that's another big one um the other thing that we're seeing and some folks you know certainly from the workforce and we've seen this in a lot of the surveys improved worker productivity right 
In the D.C. area, for instance, right, the traffic is horrendous, as everybody knows. And so in some cases, people are getting up to 10 hours of their life back because the hour commute in and the hour commute home. And so they're a little bit fresher uh, because, uh, you know, many people talk about, hey, I'm not getting interrupted. I'm able to really focus on my work. And so we have really seen some improved uh, worker productivity. In the case of OAA, um, because we provide services and support, right, we're a customer service-based organization, everybody has a nice comment. So when they provide a service, certainly the customer gets to vote. And during this, our customer service or our ICE comments, our satisfaction has actually gone up. So you would think at first, oh my goodness, everybody's dispersed, not in the office. Oh, this is going to be a tough... But we were always kind of high over 90s, but it's risen from 96%, 95% before COVID up to 99% now in the environment. And so again, we have a way through the data to see that we're actually providing better service and our customers are voting and telling in this. So again, it is in many areas, the, the improver, um, you get this improved work for, uh, worker productivity. The other thing uh, is a big focus right, right now is recruitment and retention, right? And it turns out that people vote for th- with their feet. And so if you are offering additional flexibilities, more than just telework, but flexible work schedules, right, where you're allowing people that have multiple demands on them, uh, you get to retain folks or you can attract folks. Uh, and this is one of the fears early on is we move to the future work, is that across DOD, if people have greatly varying benefits that they're offering or flexibilities, you could have a one a big brain drain from one place to another. So I've seen some of that and some, you know, across the army commands, folks are, again, the old term adage, voting with their feet. And they're moving to locations where they are provided uh, more flexibility. In some cases, it may be the ability to re- uh, remote work. Some cases, you know, maximum telework, or uh, and or just adjusting their hours, right? Adjusting hours. We've seen that as a big thing where folks working for you know hours in the morning, then having to take care of children, coming back on the clock, and then having to take care of. So all of these benefits. Uh, we certainly believe because we are in a war for talent right now and across the department event, we know what's going on with soldier recruiting or intention and this, we expect the same on the civilian workforce. So we think the future of work and those flexibilities that we'll build in uh, for our DA civilians will help recruit and retain them. And part of that is we talked earlier on the diversity, inclu- equity and inclusion. And so in some cases right now, and this is true for OAA, We've been able to attract people, you know, with varied uh, uh, of varied opinions, right? Various backgrounds, who normally and you can't believe this would not want to move to Washington D.C. and become part of the big traffic and stuff, but would be happy to be members of the OA team if we allow them to work from their current location. And so you can get a big diversity of opinion, a big diversity in demographics. If, again, you use some of these flexibilities, we're going to see come out of, again, the whole overall concept of the future of work. Um, there's another benefit to that uh, on the remote work side, because for civilians, remember, if you become a full-time remote worker, then your locality pay is based on the location from which you're working. In many cases, it's the person's home. 
And so when DC is a very high cost area and the folks that work locally receive the locality pay for DC, if we bring on a civilian employee who's in another part of the county, uh, country, and in most cases would be a lower cost area, there's actually a savings. So you get a high quality uh, Department of the Army civilian, but at a savings, again, that you can put back into other priorities. So those are just some of the, the considerations that are other than telework, but I do want to talk about that right now, right? And telework is one is, you know, everything we've got from HQDA, at, locally at HQDA, from the FEV surveys, from the DOC surveys, people really like telework and remote work as a benefit, right? It helps with, you know, in part of this flexibility benefits we can give as part of the future to work. Now, telework is not for everybody, right? There are, it starts, you know, as a leader, you're told to do an assessment by position, not by the face, but by the position of is that position, is that job actually qualify for telework or remote work? And I'll give you some local examples I have where it's not. Um, the folks that work in the de declassification agency, they must come in each day because they work, they do, is in a classified facility. And therefore, right now, based on the current technology, that has to be done in the office, right, in person. The other one is the Pentagon Motor Pool. Those drivers obviously must come in to man their vehicles, to drive around the folks that they support on a daily basis. On the soldier side, uh, the folks that work in the executive dining facility, right? Can't telework in a cheeseburger. So again, just some examples, right? And so before folks say, okay, I just want max telework, the first thing is the assessment of the position, the job description. Is it even eligible for telework and remote work? But then once you get through that, you're going to have a whole host of positions that actually are eligible. And this is where we always talk about having that one-on-one -on -one discussion between the employee and the supervisor, right, about what is that will work best uh, for them, the highest thing being ensuring that the mission can be uh, accomplished, right, with the same level. Um, but also, again, when you talk about all of those other benefits, not just you know, a more engaged employee, but all those things, reduce real estate, carbon footprint, all that, they all should play a part in the uh, decision-making process between the supervisor and the employee. You know, OMB does point out, right, that organizations should go through these decisions in accordance with agency policies, prioritizing the primary function of the job and mission accomplishment. And they put in there rather than managerial preference, right? If you're old school and you really hadn't done telework up until this date, you may not see that as the future, right? Your, your idea and when you do and go through your decision process, it may not. But they do highlight that because that they, they understand it is a cultural shift, it is a cultural shift. But telework, increased telework and remote work, that is the way that we can get at some of these other benefits of the future work. And I think the big one we're seeing is that allows folks more flexibility to take care of children or, you know, as we've seen because of COVID and it looks like we'll be in it for a, a longer period, childcare not being available. What if the schools close again? Uh, one of the things we've heard from the Department of Defense is, although it was a waiver 
right now uh, to include child care, elder care as part of a telework agreement. They believe when they publish their new DOD telework guidance, that will be included as not needed in a waiver, but it will actually be integrated in the overall uh, telework program. So that's a lesson learned that DOD said, hey, we're not going to not do that in the future. We're actually going to institutionalize that and include it in the overall DOD telework policy. The other thing that impacts DOD civilians right now is the idea of right now, folks that are on telework have not had to come back to the office twice per pay period, right? They can come back, but not required because of we are still under a national health emergency. And that comes out of uh, HHS, Health and Human Services. And in 90-day increments, they are allowed to extend it. So right now, the current emergency was extended out through the 15th of July, but everything we're hearing from our meetings is that that will be extended out to honor about the 15th of October. So again, under the federal and DOD telework program, if extended, that would allow supervisor employees to discuss on whether it is the employee would need to return right twice per pay period. It's more tied to locality pay than it is to the actual telework program. It was put in the telework program very long ago to ensure that people were remaining in the local area and therefore were directed to return to the office, to the workplace twice per pay period uh, so that they would not, I guess it was a management control put in place because if someone just moved away um, and were not required to report back in, they may be in a different locality section. But that, again, the future of work, the highlight is it encompasses all sorts of things besides telework and remote work, although it is a key area in the questions I get most on um, when we discuss the future of work. I think that the point that you made that is, uh, is very interesting and it's very relevant is that telework or flexible work schedules is not just about being magnanimous and allowing the employee to do what they want, but there are some tangible benefits back to the organization uh, in terms of all those things that you mentioned. And I, I do think that there's, there's probably a little bit of a generational uh, divide regarding uh, telework and remote work uh, in terms of younger people being maybe a little more uh, comfortable with it, but uh, we all need to understand that uh, it ha- it can help the organization uh, as a whole, and it, and that point that you made about productivity has increased and job satisfaction has increased. I mean, if I'm a supervisor, I'm I'm doing everything I can to increase those two things, and so I I really appreciate uh, you sharing those uh, with our leader up audience, and we. We have a few more minutes, and I wanted to talk to you about some things that Army leaders might think about uh, when they lead or they're supervising uh, members of the Army Civilian Corps in a virtual uh, or a telework environment. What kind of things uh, have you seen that are useful, that are helpful uh, to lead uh, in the in a virtual environment? Right. We already I already talked about right doing this honest assessment you know, of the mission itself and the position, irregardless of the face, and then kind of take a look as a leader, 
say where you stand on those that are or not eligible to be in the virtual vine. We talked about telework or remote work. Um, and I gave you some examples where in our case, there are folks that are perfect for uh, taking on some of those benefits that those can cannot. So once you get done with that assessment, the next big thing is we talked about getting the infrastructure, the technology in place so that you can easily communicate both up and down the chain with the employees. And so we have obviously, have there are several things out there. Teams, MS Teams is the go-to right now. But we've also used Zoom for government. And many times, if you have to deal with folks that are outside, in our case, the Army 365 environment, uh, many times they use Zoom for government, certainly for interagency or for other type meetings. As I've talked with uh, in the educational side, I've been using Blackboard on those effective. But it's that idea is you got to know what you don't know, so to speak, is what is the technology that's out there? that can help you facilitate, right? Instead of walking around, you know, in person in the thing, you know, kind of battlefield circulation, the ability to reach out with folks with the the technology. Um, Right now, you know, the things on the technology is getting in place a system to distribute the equipment, right? It, It was one thing when everybody grabbed their laptops and went home. Now, how is it as a leader you distribute? the government furnished the laptops. How do you get the employees' cameras, microphones, right? Uh, one you run in, and, uh, and it's different things. If they're teleworking in the local area, usually the, the go-to is return to the local IT provider to get those things taken place of. Interesting one is cat cards. So if someone is remote work and they're not near an installation, then how is it, what is your plan to ensure you can quickly, right, without emission degradation, get that cat card fixed, right? Either it's updated, needs to be renewed. And so again, for the remote workers is a little bit more challenging because you use an overnight express to get the laptop back and forth. Do you now keep extras as a leader, a director, right, a directorate level? Do you keep extra uh, floats available so they can send theirs in and send it back out. So some things you got to think of, because again, if folks are, if you move more and more to the remote work, it's how to get that infrastructure into them. We've also learned, right? You have to have a backup to the backup to the backup. So if Teams fails, all else fails, having available uh, what we used to call the teleconference lines, right? And you got to check locally to make sure there are lines available for meetings of 20, meetings of 50. And in some cases, we had to go to a backup on a town hall when we had to get a phone line that uh, would allow 200 participants. But we have learned, uh, like anything else, if the network goes down and you've been relying on teams to communicate, um, then then again, have a backup. And I think uh, going back old school with the old, what we call teleconference, uh, works out well uh, to, 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 again, uh, accomplish the mission. Biggest thing I've found is over-communicate, over-communicate, over-communicate with the workforce, right? And the conversations, communications have to be two-way. For us, the frequency of town halls has increased to once a month. They used to be once a quarter, increase them to once a month so you can do maximum information sharing. Each one of those town halls, you know, kind of pushes information. The most important part of that town hall 
it's a question and answer period, right? Where you can hear directly from the employees. It's really nice teams having that chat function so the employees can line up all those questions, you know, right there on the firing line. And then we can answer those as we just go down. So that's a technique that's worked well. I also do once a month what used to be, we call them brown bag lunches or breakfasts. I do coffee with the AA. And so the entire workforce, uh, I use that to put out whatever I've gathered from information from the latest meetings. And then again, the most important part is their ability to ask questions to me. The other thing uh, that also facilitates, I always ask, is there somebody online that has some information they need to put out right to the, to the workforce, right? Where normally you'd get this from, I guess, the term cube hopping, or you would get it in person by being in the office, seeing flyers or posters. Um, we give folks a time on that. And so that's really good when people speak up and remind people about upcoming events or when things are due or so forth and so on. So that's been super helpful. Uh, for me at my level, having a director's meeting once a month, right, with them. So I guess on this one, it's this idea of over-communicate. Uh, if you hadn't, uh, you know, increase the number of uh, times that communication can happen across the team or the organization. And what this really facilitates is the transparency, right? The idea that if you have something, you pass it on, no one's hiding the information. Folks that are, uh, you know, at home and not in the office, you know, you want to feel them as key members of the team. The other big one, certainly in your lane, the, the continuing of professional development programs in the virtual environment, right? It turns out, that uh, there are several great opportunities that can be moved from in the classroom uh, to the virtual environment. And some of these that we do in the headquarters uh, development programs, you know, sometimes we call them soft skills, but uh, project management, how to be a more effective leader in the virtual environment. We've had very big success with those. And, and again, the, the, the courses sell out, so to speak, the off, they get filled. Um, even we found, you know, obviously based on where folks are in their career, depending on the retirement seminars, you know, monthly are very important. And so, again, we found a way to go what was always an in-person to a virtual. And folks actually like it because a lot of the products remain online for them as a member of that course. They can go back and, and get that. So that's actually will be a sustain afterwards, um, even if we went fully back in. Um the other thing was, and we noticed this right off the bat, continue your employee recognition programs and reward programs, right? It's important where you normally said, oh, well, why are we doing this? You know, we're not in a big auditorium for everybody to stand up and clap. No, it's just as important in the virtual environment to recognize, right? In our case, we have a MVP, OAA monthly MVP. We recognize them. We recognize folks that have completed academic achievements, right? Got their degrees, got certified. We, when folks write nights letters in, letters of appreciation, we, we let the whole workforce know about that. And then any, some life changes, folks having children and all that. Again, kind of a, a hometown newspaper effect, but that idea of continue to recognize people uh, in a whole host of ways. And in our case, I mentioned when we get really good comments in from our customers, right? Who, who highlight an individual that went above and beyond, we will bring that up and, um, and recognize that. And the last thing, is, well, last two is one, delegate down because you got to start, you know, trusting confidence in your leaders to make decisions because we are literally in a distributed work environment, right? And so that's good. Uh, be careful, health, work, life balance, right? 
early on, we all saw that there were folks, you, you saw it all over the news about folks burning out, even though they're working from home and not going on these, you know, in case in DC, these one hour uh, commutes, both uh, to work and from uh, that idea of when to get off work, when to walk away from your virtual environment, when you go from your office or your dining room, your living room uh, to get on with your life. And I think that's important. And the last thing, this was the last thing is, so as we're changing, make sure you're reviewing your policies and you're updating them in, you know, in accordance where there were some hard, fast rules about how things would be done, right? You must be here. You must do this in person. You got to backtrack and kind of update those based on what the new environment we're in. Those are a couple of uh, the ones that, again, lessons learned, some things that folks should address early on. And with that, uh, you'll be able to adjust to this in virtual environment. You know, I can't say with no issues, we learn something every day, but that's a good foundational place to start with those couple of uh, tidbits, I guess. And so, Mr. Mark Averill, on behalf of our uh, Leader Up audience, I want to thank you for uh, giving up your time today to talk about these very important and timely issues. So thank you for being with us today on Leader Up. It was my pleasure and honor. And again, uh, I am in the book, so to speak. So if anybody needs any uh, clarification of anything from today, and I will provide some of the, mo- the important links uh, that I discussed through today. So folks will be able to look at those and when they have time, review some of these extensive documents uh, for their own uh, understanding and for both them and the employees they may supervise uh, to get a better understanding on these. And so Leader Up audience, you've been listening to Mr. Mark Averill, the Administrative Assistant to the Secretary of, of the Army. And so what did you hear today, folks, that that resonates with you, that's important to you, uh, the safer federal workforce and the future of work. What kind of things are, are, uh, important for you and the installation, uh, that you work at and send us your thoughts, your ideas, and let us know how you're responding to leader up and join us again next time for another edition of leader up. As always, if you have any questions or feedback or would like to learn more about our podcast, please check the description for our email and for our website. Thanks for listening.